Today, today's a, a special day. Today's a day that we don't want to forget. Today's a day where we're going to celebrate with many people that are taking their next step in their journey with God through water baptism. And if you're, you're here and you're new or you've not been around church and you're like, this just seems odd. Like a bunch of people gathering around and then somebody getting dunked in water. Like it just, it could seem like from the outside, trust me, I, I get it. It can seem kind of weird to do something. But let me just tell you, if you're on a journey of faith, there might not be a more significant moment than the decision to get baptized. It's a moment where you take a step with God and it actually begins to transform you because faith, listen, is not a, a single moment. It's not just a single event. It's not just a single belief, but faith is a journey and it begins with a step. And I actually believe that all of us are one step away from taking a, a a move toward God that is life-altering, trajectory-changing, that will change your destiny, all of us here today. And I don't know what it might be for you, but I'm praying that God today would speak to you personally. Whatever it is and wherever place you are, if you're someone who doesn't believe in God, if you're someone who's just beginning to follow him, I pray that today is a moment where God will lead you into your next step. I want to read, just if I could, if you remain standing, just our, our passage for today. It's a passage found in Acts chapter 8. And I just want you to listen to this story. This is a moment where, where God aligned something for someone to take their next step. And it happens to be in water baptism. In Acts chapter 8, it says this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. That's a pretty significant person. A eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, go over and walk alongside the carriage. And Philip ran over, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and to sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. I wonder if you might guess who is this that the prophet was talking about. That's what the Ethiopian said. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about who? It was about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. And I love this next verse. It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, again but went on his way rejoicing. Here, here's what I think. If God would organize and align all of this for this one Ethiopian man to have an encounter with Jesus, what won't he do for you? 
what won't he do for me? We don't even know his name, and it doesn't matter. God knew his name. Just in the same way, God knows your name. And I believe for many of you that today, this isn't just going to church. This is a moment for you that God has aligned. And so I want us to ask God, God, show me what you have for me today. Would you just bow your heads? Would you just close your eyes for a moment? God, today we, we're here not trying to attend church. But God, I pray right now that your spirit would speak to each and every one of us about what our step is in our faith journey. That God, you would show us who you are. And I pray, Father, for every person today that needs to experience you. Help me to get out of the way so that they can encounter you, Jesus. We pray all of these things according to the name of the Savior who came to rescue us. And his name is Jesus. And we pray this in his name. And everybody said, Amen. come on, can we give him praise one more time? Let's thank him. You guys can be seated. If you are new to church, if you're new to this idea of faith, you know what I've discovered about faith? Faith is unique, it's weird, it's different. It's... Faith is all about doing things that doesn't make sense. That's what I found out. Faith is, is, is like a journey where you are trying to move toward God, following Jesus, but can I just be real honest, and this has been my perspective, this has been my experience in my journey of following Jesus. So many times he invites and he asks us to do things that, let's just be honest, don't make sense. There, there are things all that Jesus said over and over, you can read the story, that just didn't make sense. The way we're to love our enemies, that doesn't make sense. The way you're supposed to forgive somebody that hurts you even if they don't apologize, that doesn't make sense. If somebody strikes you on one side of the cheek, give them the other, that doesn't make sense, okay? The, the whole narrative of faith is this, it's, God asking us to do things that doesn't make sense in the moment. Now, I've discovered over time it does make sense, but in the moment it often doesn't. And when you look at this moment with Philip, can I just be honest with you? It doesn't make any sense, especially if you understand the context of what God asked Philip to leave. So here's the story. Um, the church in Acts chapter 8 was... It was erupting in Jerusalem and also facing incredible persecution. Now, Philip was recently, um, he was ordained as a deacon. He's a part of the leadership. And it says that all the leaders fled Jerusalem. Many of them, not all of them, they fled Jerusalem. Philip was one of them that left. And he goes to a town called Samaria. Now, this was a town, let's be honest, the Jews and the Samaritans really didn't like each other. It was bad. And Philip goes to Samaria, and when he gets to Samaria, he begins to tell everybody, guys, you're never going to believe this. You remember that guy, Jesus, that came through here once? One time he talked to this woman at a well, and then she told you about it, and it was made. That same Jesus, I saw him. They killed him, and I came back to life, and I saw him. And it says in Acts 8 that all kinds of people started to come into faith in Jesus. They started to believe in him, and many were being baptized. Now, I want you to picture the scene. 
Philip just starts this movement in Samaria. It's blowing up. His ministry is multiplying. The church is growing under his leadership. It's such a big movement that the the leaders in Jerusalem, they send the two top dogs, Peter and John, to Samaria to investigate what's going on. This is such an incredible move of God that's happening. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to Philip one day and says, hey, I want you to leave it all. And I want you to go to the desert. Say, what? I, what do you mean? We're, we're having big success. I mean, people are getting baptized. I, I came here and, and all of a sudden things are happening. And now you want me to leave? Yep. I want you to head south on the road that leads to the desert. The, they call it the desert road. Now, by the way, this particular road is a road that went from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Gaza was a town that was south of that that was kind of considered the gateway to the desert, and it was the path that people took on their way back to Egypt or into Africa. And so here's God speaking to Philip. Again, this doesn't make sense. And he doesn't tell him why. He doesn't give him the destination. All he does is give him direction. Can I just tell you something I've discovered? In my journey of following Jesus, he won't give you the why a lot of times. He doesn't give you the destination. All he gives you is a direction. I have found this to be true over and over. You can see it in scripture. When God spoke to a man named Abraham, he said, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna make you into a father of many nations even though he couldn't have children. He said, I want you to pack up your family and I want you to start walking. Where are we going? I'll tell you when you get there. Don't you hate that? I'll tell you when you get there. He says, I'll show you when you get there. Here's what I've discovered with God, and you need to know this if you're gonna walk in faith, if you're gonna follow him, is that he won't often give you the destination. He'll just point you in a direction. Now, this is hard for me because I'm a destination person. When, when I go on vacation, I'm a destination person. Anybody here that's a destination person? No stops along the way. I, tell my, my, I told my family, no drinks. You ever, you, you ever do that? You're driving, no drinks. Cutting you off because you will have to pee every two hours. I cannot handle it. We have to get to the destination. I think so many of us were wired as destination people. We're constantly thinking, okay, it's all about getting to the destination. Can I tell you something, even about Christianity? Christianity is not about a destination. Too many people think following Jesus is about getting your ticket punched into heaven. Can I just tell you, following Jesus is not about what happens to you when you die. Following Jesus is about what you do in the direction you move right now. We've missed the point if you think it's just a get out of jail card. No, 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 you've missed it. It's for right now. It's, it's, a, it's a direction. What direction? And, and I really believe this, that to move in a new direction, you're going to have to take a step. You'll hear us a lot of times here at the church challenge people to say, what's your next step? And I, I don't care if you're brand new, and maybe you're just like, I'm just questioning everything. I'm not really sure what I believe. I believe that's part of a journey of faith. You have a next step. And people that have been here for, you know, been following Jesus for 40 years, can I just tell you, you have a next step. Because it's not about the destination. It's about the direction that your life is moving. And I don't know maybe what God is inviting you. What step is God inviting you to take? See, the last thing I want you to do is to find a church where you can come and sit and be really comfortable and like the music and the messages. Okay, they make me feel good and all this. But you're never challenged to take a step. You'll go nowhere in life. You won't move in your, in your journey with God. 
And so I'm always gonna challenge you if you're gonna be in this church, what's your next step? What does that look like? For some of you, it might be to go all in with Jesus. You come, you show up, you listen, you like it, you kind of hear it, I think I believe, but you haven't actually fully surrendered. You've never kind of just jumped all the way in. Can I just say for some of you, that's your next step. Others of you, it could be like there are some here who are gonna get baptized. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you did, but maybe you've just been afraid to kind of take that next step. That's your next step. I don't know what it is. It could be you're in a relationship with somebody, and it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not good for your faith. It's not honoring God. And you just, you know that your next step is to break it off, but you're like, man, I can't. I don't know. I just don't think I could be alone. If that's you, come back next week. We're going to kick off a relationship series. It'll be really helpful for you. But guess what? I'm going to challenge you to take a step because you'll go nowhere in life. And nowhere with God if you don't take a step. I don't know what he could be inviting you to do. And so many of us are waiting for God to give us a destination. He won't. He will give you a direction. But here's what you need to know. Your direction determines your destination. I'm waiting for God to give. No, no, no. He's not going to do that. He's going to give you a direction. And your direction determines your destination. We all know that. You start walking in a certain way of life, you start doing the right thing, you're gonna end up at one destination. You go in a different path, you're gonna end up in a different destination. And so here's Philip in this moment, and this does not make any sense, but the voice of God speaks to him and says, I want you to leave it all, and I want you to head toward the desert. Here's what we know about Philip, Philip's obedient. See, that's all that God really wants from us, is when he prompts us with a step, is that we'd be obedient. And Philip's obedient to the voice of God, and he begins to travel in the, on the desert road. I can imagine Philip just out there walking. I have no idea why I'm doing this. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't understand why God sent me away from everything that was going on somewhere. This is dumb. I don't get this. I'm just walking on this desert road. It's really hot. It's dry. It's arid. Why am I doing this? I'm just walking on this road. And as he's walking, here's what I want you to picture. A carriage comes by him. Right, horse drawn, donkey drawn, we don't know, but there's this chariot, this carriage that comes by with this African guy in it, it's an Ethiopian, and he passes right by him. I can imagine he's moving faster than Philip is. And all of a sudden it says that the Spirit of God speaks to Philip. Philip, I want you to go catch that chariot. So now the walk turns into a run. Now he's hightailing it so that he can catch up to the chariot. And he's walking next to the chariot. Can you imagine how fast he's got to walk to keep up with the chariot? I don't know. God just told me i got to go next to the chariot. And I'm just next to the chariot. And while he's next to the chariot, he hears this guy reading from Isaiah. He's reading a passage of scripture from Isaiah. He had just come back from Jerusalem where he was worshiping God. Now, here's what most believe, and we don't have a ton of information about this guy, but more than likely he wasn't Jewish, but he went to Jerusalem to worship. Why? Because God was always welcoming people, even through the entire Old Testament, foreigners, Gentiles, anybody, to come and to worship him. He always made room for people, even if they weren't Jewish, to come and worship him. And so more than likely, this was a guy who had converted over, who, was, who believed that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the one true God. And so he went to Jerusalem, as this is what many would do, three times a year, if you were Jewish or if you were somebody that was a God-fearing Gentile who worshiped that God, you would come to Jerusalem, you would bring a sacrifice, you would bring some animal, you'd participate in the celebration. God welcomed them to be a part of it. Here's what we know. He's on his way back. We don't know which festival. 
He's riding along and he has a scroll, a copy of Isaiah. Now, by the way, back then, if you had a copy of Isaiah, the prophet, or a copy of one of those books from the, what's the Old Testament today, you probably are pretty wealthy. This guy had money. In fact, he was a treasurer. He's the CFO for the queen of Ethiopia, the Candace sheet. In fact, the queen would often manage a lot of the state's financial decisions and things. The king would give that to the queen, and he worked for her, okay? And so he's on his way back, and he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. He's, he's reading this, and he has no idea what he's reading. Now, if you ever get a chance, I don't know if you know what Isaiah 53 is. If you ever get a chance, I want you to go read Isaiah 53 on your own. It's a really fascinating chapter in this Old Testament book from a prophet in the Old Testament days. Isaiah chapter 53 tells all about a servant, a suffering servant who would come and would die and pay a penalty and a price for the sin of the world. You're never going to guess who it's about. I know. I have no idea. Okay. In fact, can I just tell you, this one prophetic chapter is so specific and aligns so much with Jesus that many of the Jews then, and even today, they actually will skip over reading Isaiah 53 because it is so perplexing. It really is about Jesus. It describes the way he dies with exact details and the purpose for which he dies. And so here he is, he's reading this, and Philip says, hey, you know what you're reading? Nah, I have no clue. Who's this? Is this about the prophet? Who's this about? And, and, and he says, I know. And so this Ethiopian eunuch, he invites him into his chariot, and he's sitting there. Now he hitchhiked with the guy, okay? And he's, and he's there, and he's explaining. And it says he starts with this passage, and he goes through the whole story and begins to tell him the good news about Jesus. You know what I've discovered, too? I think that it can be easy to come to church and to be in a community like this and not really know the good news of Jesus. I actually think you can. I think it can be easy to go to a big church and go, I don't know, it makes me feel something. And when you ask me, what's the good news about Jesus, that you could maybe would say, well, I mean, I think he was a good person. I think he said a lot of good things. He seemed like he was a really good teacher. He seemed really, morally, he was really good. Like, this must be the good news about Jesus. If, if that's what you think it is, can I just tell you, you miss it. It is way more powerful than that. The good news about Jesus. Do you know the good news about Jesus? And he starts with Isaiah 53. You know what Isaiah 53 says? Isaiah 53 says, here's a guy who in himself had no sin. But then it says that he bore the weight of our iniquities upon himself. That he was pierced, not for what he did. Again, this was hundreds of years for telling of how Jesus died on a cross. He was pierced for our transgressions, for my sin, for my screw-ups, for my mess-ups, not for his this is a story about what Jesus did, not for the world. It's about what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for me. See, here's the thing. You don't have to believe in God to believe that there are consequences for all our actions. I think we all believe that. 
You might be here today, I don't believe in God, I'm not sure. But here's what I know. I know you do believe that there are consequences for the things that we do. Here's why I know that, because what could you do? You could steal from a store. If you get caught, you can expect you're probably going to go to jail. You can lie at work, but if you get caught, there's a good chance you could get fired. I think we all know in life there are consequences for our wrong actions. And here's what all of us already know as well. We all have made wrong decisions. I have made bad decisions. I have messed things up. In fact, I have created a mess in my life. We all have created messes. We've created messes relationally. We've created messes financially. We've created messes morally that we feel on the inside. And most of us, we don't know what to do with it. So we think, I need to clean my mess up. And we'll spend our lives trying to clean everything up. I know I should do better, man. I'm just going I know I'm gonna get back to church. I, I just gotta work some things out. I'm gonna I'm just working on it. I'm I'm trying to get better. I just gotta do some. I know I've done a lot of bad things lately. I'm gonna make up for it and do some good things. What is that? That's us trying to deal with the mess. I don't know what else to do with it. I have guilt. I don't know what else to do with it. I feel shame. I don't know what else to do with it. I know I've screwed up. And here's what God did. God saw us drowning in our guilt, drowning in our shame, drowning in our sin, trying our best but not getting it right. Because, you know, I can do good for a little bit, but then I always mess up again. You ever do that? Now I'm going to be so good this week. Some of you are going to be like, you come to church, you feel like you get a new start. I feel like, okay, God forgive me, I feel it. I feel it. This week, man, I am going to hit it. This week, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to do this. And then come Monday, you already screwed it up by noon. I just blew up at that person. I should have never. I just said those words. Why did I say those? I said I wasn't going to say those words. I said those words again. I just got so mad. I just, oh, I can't believe I didn't say anything about it when they just said that this, you got credit for something, but I didn't actually do it, but I didn't want to tell them that it wasn't me because I liked when they were giving me credit. See, we all do things, and and. God looked down and he goes, man, they're, they're drowning in it. And so God in his amazing love and with his amazing grace, so, so somebody's got to do something about this. And so he sent Jesus from heaven who took on skin, became humanity with us, lived the kind of temptations that we experienced, but he did not falter. Because he was from God. He did not mess up. And Isaiah 53 tells us that there was, there was a need for the justice of God to be met. In fact, as it talks about this one person that was going to experience excruciating death for the transgressions, the sins of our world, it says that it was the Lord's good will to crush him. Now, how can that be? It's because God is just. You know the thing we want most out of God is for him to be fair, him to be just. And so for God to be just, something had to pay the penalty for our sin. It's kind of like before the judge, we have been found guilty. You do the crime, you do the time. Jesus said, I'll come take your time. That's what he did. And so I don't know what you hear when you hear the good news about Jesus. But it's not just religion It's not just some kind of nice rhetoric. It's for you. It's for me. It's an opportunity for us to experience the grace and the forgiveness that only comes through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the question is, what will you do in response to hearing this?
You see, you could come here today and just so unassuming and just show up and you could hear all that. But for somebody to give their life for you, I think it demands a response. What are you gonna do with that? What, what did the Ethiopian eunuch do? His response we find in verse 36. Can I read it to you? His response was this. While they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the officer said, look, here's water. What is stopping me from being baptized? And in verse 37, by the way, depending on what translation you have, it might not be in there. Some manuscripts had verse 37. Some manuscripts did not. And, and so some biblical um, groups that put them together said, we're not going to put it in, but we'll put a footnote. It's at the bottom. Okay. Whether this was in there originally from Luke or a scribe or someone added it to help us understand, it doesn't matter because we all know this from the entire narrative of the New Testament. But here's what 37 said. Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And the officer said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then the officer commanded the chariot to stop, and both the Philip and the officer went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Listen, the moment he heard the good news, what was his response? I believe what is standing in the way of me getting baptized. Why can't I get baptized? Now, maybe you think that's a little bit odd because you think, what is getting baptized have to do with believing? I can believe this truth, but what does that have to do with getting baptized? Well, in order to understand that, you actually have to understand what baptism meant to somebody in the first century. Okay, now this idea of baptism, which really means to go down in the water and come back up, it comes from this word baptizo, which means to make fully wet. Okay, but here's what it signified for this Ethiopian that was, was riding along. Baptism signified two things for the Jews, especially if you were a Gentile who wanted to be a, a Jew. The first thing it signified was purification, okay? Purification. It was a way in which they would clean things before they encountered God. Now, here's the picture. We used to see this at the temple. There was this big, huge bath. It was a massive bath full of water. And they'd use it to cleanse themselves, to cleanse utensils, to cleanse their sacrifice. And what they're doing is they're trying to purify themselves before they would offer a gift. In fact, even as early as the first century B.C., this is before Jesus, this is before John the baptizer that we know of and we read about in the New Testament. They found these baths around their temple sites that were made out of stone. That Here's what they would do. Before going to the temple to bring your animal as a gift and a sacrifice to God for screwing up, to try to kind of restore what's been broken, they would actually go down these steps into this bath and then they would come up out of it and then they were ritually purified on the outside and then they could go offer their gift. Purification, right? Here, here's what I know. Many of us, this is the way we view it, right? In fact, here's what I hope most of you, before you came to church to encounter God, hopefully you did some type of purification at home before you came, right? Hello? No? Did you at least take a shower, okay? Did you at least clean up a little bit? We should. I really think it's just, it's just good. But it's not for God that you do that. It's for your neighbor that you're sitting next to, okay? Here's where we have gotten it wrong, and this is where we, we often picture this. I have to clean myself up before I go to God. I've messed up. I can't approach God. 
because I'm a mess. And so here's the mindset that many of us have. Maybe this is what's kept you from even going to church for a long time. Maybe the reason you're here to support someone else but you won't come on a regular basis or be part of it is because you think, my life's a mess and I really need to get things cleaned up. I've had people that I invite to church tell me, oh, pastor, you don't want me to come in your church. Man, lightning will just come down, the building's gonna fall, all this stuff. Because why? We've got this mentality. I've gotta clean myself up before I come to God. This is what the Jews did, right? But when Jesus showed up, here's what you need to know. Here's the good news. Jesus flipped the whole model around. He said, rather than you come clean yourself up and bring a sacrifice, he said, I will be the once for all sacrifice for you, and I will give myself for you, and you don't need to clean yourself up because what I did on the cross is how you get clean before God. Because it's not about how dirty you are and how many things you've messed up and how bad you were this week and what you did last night. It's about what Jesus did for you. You see, see, baptism today represents purification. You don't get baptized to be made clean. You get baptized as this flipped it as a result of what Jesus did, saying you are clean. See, that was the first thing. This Ethiopian, he would have said, do I get baptized because he was familiar with purification. The second thing that baptism signified was identification. Now, this is fascinating. I I was reading up on what it meant back then and what it means for someone who's not Jewish to wanna worship that God, to wanna worship Yahweh. If you wanted to and you weren't Jewish, do you know what you had to do? There were two things that you had to do to convert. Imagine this Ethiopian had to do two things to convert. This is what their practice was. Circumcision and baptism. Circumcision and baptism. And then I'm reading this story and I'm going, this is so ironic. He's a eunuch. And for him to convert, he's got to get... Do you you not know what a eunuch is? Okay, Google it. I think that we don't use that word a lot. A lot of people don't know, but it would just, here's all you need to know. It'd be really hard for him to get circumcised, okay? And so here's the practice. I want you to get this. He would have to be circumcised, and then if he wanted to convert, he had to be baptized. See, he understood that for me to get, identify with all the rest of them who worship God, I had to get baptized. What, what does baptism have to do with it? See, See, receiving the good news of Jesus is a very personal thing. But when you get baptized, it's actually about identifying with the team that you love, the one that you love. For example, it's, it's kind of like wearing your favorite jersey. Now, I happen to have a new jersey that I just wanted. How incredible is this jersey? Come on. Hello? Hello? The real fans? The real, the real people? You know the only people that didn't clap? The Browns and Steelers fans. They're the only ones that didn't clap. And you know why? They're just really sour about their entire quarterback situation. I get it. I'd be really upset too, okay? I need you to know this, though. I didn't just get this jersey because I needed a jersey to wear. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. In fact, I I started following the Bengals kind of early, mid-'90s. 
all right? So I've been a fan of the Bengals for quite a while. I was actually living in Germany, moved to Ohio. I'd grown up in Ohio, and I'm more of a college, so listen, this, this has double meaning right here. I'm an Ohio State fan, so this has double meaning for me, all right? But I needed an NFL team to support, and at the time, my dad, he started cheering for the Bengals. Now, here was his reason, his rationale for cheering for the Bengals. They were terrible, and it was like a pity follow, you know? And, and, and so I was like, I got to cheer for an NFL team. I'm, I'm living in Ohio. And it was like, okay, so you, have, you could be like a Bengals fan or a Browns fan. But here's the problem. I knew too many Browns fans. And so I thought to myself, there is no way I could identify with them. They're crazy. They're insane. They're cursed. <laughs> if you're a Browns fan, you ought to just recognize something. You are cursed, okay? All right? Now, so I started cheering for the Bengals in the 90s. I've got a few different Bengals jerseys. I got, they've been awful, forever, terrible, going nowhere. And then one day, and then one day, their savior arrived. <laughs> Joe, if you're, Joe, if you're watching this right now, I just want you to know, we just believe God had his hand on you. And God brought you to the Cincinnati Bengals to help save the organization because it's been so bad. And... But you see, baptism is about sticking on the jersey and identifying with the one who did save you. And I'm not talking about Joe Burrow. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Baptism is an outward expression. It's a public thing. It's I'm putting on this jersey saying that I'm with him. He, he's rescued me and saved me, and I'm saying that I'm on his team. I'm, I'm a, I follow Jesus. And, and so this is what baptism represents. And, and so Philip said, you can if you believe that he is the son of God. And I love in this story, it says that Philip baptized the man immediately. They stopped the chariot, got down in the water, and Philip dunked him. It seems so weird, I know, it's, but it's, it's you saying that I identify with the purpose of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm new because he's alive. I, I identify, I'm, my old self it's going down in the water. My old way of living, I'm, I'm putting that aside, and I'm, I'm a new person on the inside. And today, as we get ready to celebrate people, there's people around here that have made that decision already. We're going to stand with people who are getting baptized. Here's what I wanted to do. I actually believe that there are maybe many of you here today that you are one step away, one life-altering, defining decision away from taking a, new, a step toward God. And I want to say this, maybe even through water baptism. Maybe it's receiving, hearing the good news and responding and taking a step toward him. And so, not just those that were planning on getting baptized, but here's what I wanted to do. This is a special weekend we're doing this. I wanted to give every single one of you an opportunity to get baptized today if you want to. If you're here today, and maybe there's something inside of you that's beginning to stir, and it's the Spirit, the voice of God speaking to you. You know, Philip, when he heard the voice of God, he was obedient. When the Ethiopian heard the voice of God, he was obedient. Because of that, God did something miraculous in this moment. 
And I don't know who it is, but some of you are here today, maybe in your faith journey, you're feeling something inside of you. That's the Spirit of God prompting you and say, it's time to take a step in a new direction. And here's what I know whenever you feel this, because I've been in your seat, I've felt this before. Whenever you feel that way, there's often so many things that will go through your mind that will just talk you out of it. I imagine Philip could have come up with a million different excuses of why he didn't want to go on the desert road. Man, everything here is working so well. And oh my gosh, God, you're moving so much. I can't leave this. I, I helped start this. I got to be here to lead these people and take care of them. There's so many excuses that we can tell ourselves. But maybe the question that we should ask, like this Ethiopian, is what is standing in the way of me being baptized? And I want to speak to a few of those things, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to say this. There are some of you here today that maybe you were baptized as a baby. That when you were little, that the tradition that your parents grew up in was that you, you would be baptized when you were little. And in fact, um, we're going to hear a story of somebody in just a moment that was baptized when they were little, but they're making a decision today to get baptized. I talked with one lady after the 930, Corey. And she said, thank you so much for saying this because I've been conflicted because my parents had me baptized when I was a baby. Now, let me just speak to that for a moment. We don't do that in this church, and let me say why. Because every place that we see in the New Testament, water baptism happens by your own choice after you believed. Now, listen, here's what I want to say, though. If you were baptized in a church, in a tradition, you were little, you did this, I actually believe that making a decision now to say, I identify with Jesus, I'm wearing the jersey now, does not nullify what your parents did. It actually completes and fulfills what they wanted for you. Because the reason why they did that was because they cared about you and they wanted you to experience faith like they did. And so they did that. But here's what you need to recognize if you, were young, you grew up in a tradition is that you had no say in that. In fact, my guess is you were kicking and screaming the whole time. They put you in this little dress that you didn't want to wear or this little cute outfit, and they took you up front, and they put water on your head, and you were screaming and crying, I don't want to be here. Look at this moment today as you saying, I'm actually fulfilling what my parents wanted for me. But here's what we see all throughout Scripture. Baptism happens after you believe. There's some of you that maybe feel like I need to get baptized, but... It's just, I don't want to be in front of all kinds of people and get wet. That's weird. I understand that. And maybe you, you're a kind of a private person. And when you think about faith, the way you think about it is you, you would say, my faith is a private matter. I don't, I don't really push on anybody else. I don't talk about it. It's, my, it's a private matter to me. Can I just speak to that for a moment and say, your faith is a personal matter. But it was never intended to be private. Our faith is personal. Me, him, I receive the good news. You receive the good news of Jesus. But can I remind us of this? Jesus did not die a private death. He died a very public death. And we're supposed to wear the jersey. There's something about the shirt, not just getting baptized in it, but wearing it, wear it to work or wear it to school. What does that mean for you to be able to say, oh, I identify with Jesus and he has saved me. He has forgiven me. I'm a new person because of him. See, it's not a private matter. It's personal, but it's not private. I know some of you are maybe feeling the urge to be like, I just, I'm not prepared. I, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I know enough. 
I've heard that before. Like, you know, isn't there a class I need to go through? Don't I need to do eight weeks and go through a class and prepare me and I gotta learn all these things about? No, no, no. Can I just tell you, every place we see in scripture where people got baptized, it was on the day they believed. It was that day when Peter preached the first sermon that happened to the church in the book of Acts. 3,000 were people were baptized that day when the Ethiopian finally it registers and receives the good news of Jesus. He got baptized that day. Here's what I know. So many of us, we often say, well, one day I will. One day I'm going to get serious with God. One day I'm going to start living right. One day I'm going to, can I just tell you, we will say that for the rest of our lives. What you have right now is today. What you have right now is this moment. You have an opportunity to be obedient to the voice of God today. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you, and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church, or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.